Listen. Those are the drums of liberty. Those are the drums that beat in the human heart of every person around the world. Let's talk about human flourishing in a free society in this week's Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to this week's Liberty Minute. Today, we're going to kick off a celebration of sorts, a two-part celebration, a celebration of the gift of the free society, and a celebration and an acknowledgement of liberty, especially in the United States. As we approach, in just a couple weeks, the ability of a free people under the rubrics of a written constitutional republic, we will cast votes in this upcoming midterm election for a new slate of congressional members. And in America, we have a tendency to not appreciate this notion of free and fair elections. If we were to study history, we would know that we in America are the exception to the rule. Sham elections are conducted anywhere and everywhere throughout the world. Power is indeed corrupted by the few over the many. But more importantly, in addition to celebrating our liberty in today's podcast, we will dig deeper and wider with this ongoing idea of the Greek paideia. And to do so, we will turn to Pope St. John Paul II, or how I will refer to him from here on out, well, at least occasionally, as St. John Paul the Great, because he indeed is great. His life was extraordinary. And in fact, today in the Catholic Church is St. John Paul the Great's feast day. So Catholics around the world will keep this incredible saint at the top of mind today as an example of how to live for holiness in this life to ultimately live with God in the bosom of his love in the next life. And to begin this process of digging deeper, let us turn to St. John Paul. St. John Paul the Great's addressed to the United Nations in this same month of October, but some 27 years ago in 1995. To set the stage for John Paul II's speech in 1995 to the United Nations, we should remember that there were extraordinary changes that were happening, events in Central and Eastern Europe with the downfall, the bringing down of the Iron Curtain. Beginning in Poland in the early to mid-1980s, and eventually cascading throughout all the former Soviet republics. This iron curtain of socialism and communism that was eventually brought down to which freed many tens of millions of people. And we quickly forget how monumental this movement of freedom and liberty was to those millions of people. Let's pick up John Paul II in the 
beginning stages of his speech. Quote, I would like to reflect with you on what the extraordinary changes of the last few years imply, not simply for the present, but for the future of the whole human family. Ladies and gentlemen, on the threshold of a new millennium, we are witnessing an extraordinary global acceleration of that quest for freedom, which is one of the great dynamics of human history. This phenomenon is not limited to any one part of the world, nor it or, nor is it the expression of a single culture. Men and women throughout the world, even when threatened by violence, have taken the risk of freedom, asking to be given a place in a social, political, and economic life which is commensurate with their dignity as free human beings. This universal longing for freedom is truly one of the distinguishing marks of our time. End of quote. Let us pause here and note what George Weigel emphasizes in the speech from his unique vantage point as John Paul the Great's papal biographer of record. He says in his book Witness to Hope, quote, The fact that this had happened in so many cultures and circumstances was the empirical answer to those who were arguing that the human yearning for freedom was not universal. End of quote. That's a super important point. Indeed, all human beings in their soul and throughout their DNA seek and in fact yearn for freedom. As Weigel often reminds us, a freedom that needs to be understood as authentic freedom, not simply willfulness, as a teenager thinks of freedom or that want to do things, quote, my way but in fact a mature and genuine freedom. To make society linked and integrated with that authentic freedom allows man to construct a world for the the common good. Getting back to John Paul II at the UN, let's dig deeper with him as our guide. Quote, It is important for us to grasp what might be called the inner structure of this worldwide movement. It is precisely its global character which offers us its first and fundamental key and confirms that there is indeed universal human rights rooted in the nature of the person, rights which reflect the objective and inviolable demands of a universal moral law. These are not abstract points. Rather, these rights tell us something important about the actual life of every individual and of every social group. They also remind us that we do not live in an irrational or a meaningless world. On the contrary, there is a moral logic which is built into human life and which makes possible dialogue between individuals and peoples. If we want a century of violent coercion to be succeeded by a century of persuasion, we must find a way to discuss the human future intelligibly. The universal moral law written on the human heart is precisely that kind of grammar which is needed 
if the world is to engage the discussion of its future. John Paul II goes on, quote, In this sense, it is a matter for serious concern that some people today deny the universality of human rights, just as they deny that there is a human nature shared by everyone. To be sure, there is no single model for organizing the politics and economics of human freedom. Different cultures and different historical experience give rise to different institutional forms of public life in a free, responsible society. But it is one thing to affirm a legitimate pluralism of forms of freedom and another to deny any universality or intelligibility to the nature of man, or to the human experience. The latter makes the international politics of persuasion extremely difficult, if not impossible. End of quote. Wow. Now there are some stunning, in fact, large, very large nuggets of wisdom right there. And since we covered the Greek notion of paideia, and the vision of the good life from Pete Hegseth's book, The Battle of the American Mind, this integration of a Western Christian paideia and its breakdown over the last 25 to 50 years, I thought it was a telling one because of the peoples of Eastern and Central Europe, which were taken away from that Western Christian paideia with the advent and the flood of communism and socialism taking over their countries. After World War I, in some instances, and after World War II, in most of the other instances. Furthermore, the mature idea of freedom of those peoples, John Paul II appreciated and explains in his speech. He says, quote, the, bo- the moral dynamics of this universal quest for freedom clearly appeared in Central and Eastern Europe during the nonviolent revolutions of 1989. Unfolding in specific times and places, those historical events nonetheless taught a lesson which goes far beyond a specific geographical location. For the nonviolent revolutions of 1989 demonstrated that the quest for freedom cannot be suppressed. It arises from a recognition of of the inestimable dignity and value of the human person, and it cannot fail to be accompanied by a commitment on behalf of the human person. This is where it gets good. Modern totalitarianism has been, first and foremost, an assault on the dignity of the person, an assault which has gone even to the point of denying the unalienable value of the individual's life. The revolutions of 1989 were made possible by the commitment of brave men and women inspired by a different and ultimately more profound and powerful vision. The vision of man as a creature of intelligence and free will, immersed in a mystery which transcends his own being and endowed with an ability to reflect and an ability to choose. And thus, is capable of wisdom and virtue. End of quote. The ability to choose wisdom and virtue is so critical. So much wisdom from the saint. So much wisdom indeed that we in the Christian church celebrate him today. 
but more importantly, for a much wider world for us to understand. A Western Christian paideia is deeply integrated with a more humane worldwide paideia. As a world society, will we ever see a more humane paideia? In fact, as a world society coming to grips with how to look into the future with more humanity, with more virtue, with more understanding of the different cultures and languages, trying through fits and starts to create a society, albeit in this post-Christian world, will we simply forget the lessons of the last 2,000 years? Or will we simply see Christianity as bad? Or a Christian theory or teaching as just old and backward? A relic of a bygone era? John Paul II answers that question. Quote, A decisive factor in the success of those nonviolent revolutions was the experience of social solidarity. In the face of regimes backed by the power of propaganda and terror, that solidarity was the moral core of the power of the powerless, a beacon of hope and an enduring reminder that it is possible for man's historical journey to follow a path which is true to the finest aspirations of the human spirit. Viewing those events from this privileged international forum, one cannot fail to grasp the connection between the values which inspire those people's liberation movements and many of the moral commitments inscribed in the United Nations Charter. I'm thinking, for example, of the commitment to, quote, reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights and in the dignity and worth of the human person, and also the commitment to promote social progress and better standards of life in larger freedom. The 51 states which founded this organization in 1945 truly lit a lamp whose light can scatter the darkness caused by tyranny, a light which can show the way to freedom, peace, and solidarity, end of quote. This organization that John Paul II is referring to, the United Nations, was in 1995 already showing some deep cracks in its foundation. One cannot forget Bosnia and the ethnic cleansings of its civil war. Some 100,000 people were killed. One cannot get past the racial genocide of Rwanda in 1994, where for over 100 days, some 800,000 to 1 million members of the Tutsi tribe were raped and maimed and slaughtered by the Hutus. And now, certainly in this current time and space, the stain that is this ineffectual organization has on religious liberty where it has turned a blind eye to the imprisonment of the Muslim Uyghurs. Even more shameful is the UN's Human Rights Council, which supposedly cares about human rights, or at least one would think so. In fact, they just voted two weeks ago, 19 to 17, to get this, not even discuss and debate China's abuses against the Uyghurs 
in the Xinjiang province. What an utter disgrace. Certainly China's Belt and Road Initiative must be the reason for the nations, such as Nepal, Indonesia, and Pakistan, Qatar, and the UAE, to want to not offend China in the least so we can't even get a little help with some bad mouth. It's a reference to our last uh, Liberty Minute. Please check out that for some more insight. But back to our great Western Christian Paideia in the Free Society and St. John Paul II. Quote, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights adopted in 1948 spoke eloquently of the rights of persons, but not so similar international agreement has yet to be adequately addressed on the rights of nations. This situation must be carefully pondered, for it raises urgent questions about justice and freedom in the world today. It's interesting he advocates for this right of nations. In fact, he presses it further, quote, History shows that in extreme circumstances, such as those which occurred in the land where I was born, Poland, it is precisely its culture that enables a nation to survive the loss of political and economic independence. Every nation, therefore, also has the right to shape its life according to its own traditions, excluding, of course, every abuse of basic human rights, and in particular the oppression of minorities. Did you hear that, UN? Every nation has the right to build its future by providing an appropriate education for the younger generation. End of quote. The moral clarity and uniqueness with which John Paul the Great speaks on this issue is utterly emphasized because he had the moral credibility to do so. He was that so-called witness to hope when he traveled back to his former country of Poland for those nine days in June, referenced in Catholic Corner number 10. Please be sure to check out that podcast episode for further insight. But finally, to sum up the integration of Paideia and the Free Society to accomplish human flourishing, we cannot forget or overlook John Paul the Great, his groundbreaking encyclical Centesimus Annos, given in 1991, where he described the Free Society with three distinct yet interlocking parts. Legs of a stool, so to speak, to create the word picture for you. They are the democratic political community, the free market, and a vibrant public moral culture. These three legs of the stool ought to carry the world into the 21st century with a vision of a virtuous and free society. Weigel, in his papal biographer, biography, sums up this teaching with these words, quote, Beyond the quarrels of theologians and commentators, Centesimus Annas was well received because it was an extraordinary statement of faith and hope. At the end of the century, in which humanity had become afraid of what it might be capable of doing, John Paul spoke a word of faith and freedom and in the human capacity to order public life in decency and justice. 
His proposal was all the more compelling because it was not a product of optimism, but of a transcendent hope, born of faith in God, and in the human person God had created with intelligence and free will, a moral agent capable of building a truly free and virtuous society. Such good stuff there. We don't have time to expand in this podcast episode and dig deeper on this wonderful monumental encyclical, but suffice it to say that in today's Liberty Minute, we have a better and deeper idea, a notion, and certainly an outline of how to create a flourishing life integrated with a free and virtuous society. It is the intersection of a Western Christian paideia with a Christian humanism interlocked with that free and democratic society using the free market to serve the needs and desires of a morally vibrant people. So let us close now with the words of John Paul the Great in 1995 at the UN. Quote, ladies and gentlemen, I come before you as my predecessor, Pope Paul VI, exactly some 30 years ago, not as one who exercises temporal power, these are his words, nor as a religious leader seeking special privileges for his community. I come before you as a witness, a witness to human dignity, a witness to hope, a witness to the conviction that the destiny of all nations lies in the hands of a merciful providence. We must overcome our fear of the future but we will not be able to overcome it completely unless we do so together. The answer to that fear is neither coercion nor oppression, nor the imposition of one social model on the entire world. The answer to that fear, which darkens human existence at the end of the 20th century, is the common effort to build the civilization of love, founded on the universal values of peace solidarity, justice, and liberty. And the soul of the civilization of love is the culture of freedom, the freedom of individuals and the freedom of nations lived in a self-giving solidarity and responsibility. And here's where he closes strongly. We must not be afraid of the future. We must not be afraid of man. It is no accident that we are here. Each and every human person has been created in the image and likeness of the one who is the origin of all that is. We have within us the capabilities for wisdom and virtue. With these gifts and with the help of God's grace, we build in the next century, in the next millennium, a civilization worthy of the human person and a true culture of freedom. We can and must do so. And in doing so, we shall see that the tears of this century have prepared the ground for a new springtime of the human spirit. End of quote. A new springtime of the human spirit is certainly something we can pray for. And as our first Catholic U.S. president reminds us, John F. Kennedy God's work here on earth must truly be our own. 
So be sure to tomorrow to tune in where we will uncover a great gift that was recently given to the world by St. John Paul II. And folks, happy St. John Paul II feast day out there. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.